One of the things that I've enjoyed about being teaching pastor has been the way we go through the scriptures, we don't get to decide what we preach. Um, whatever's in front of us, that's what we deal with. And that's the word of God for his people. So I'm always stunned at how the word of God is always, it's like every time I get a chance to preach, the word of God is already saying what God had already had me mulling over, thinking through something that's heavy on my heart. And I'm like, dang, I get to preach it. And I don't have to just whip it out of context or deviate from where we are. You providentially have worked it, so that's where we are. So I get a chance today to actually drive home something that has not only been, God has been keeping me um, in this arena, this sphere of what we're going to talk about today. But I actually get a chance to now, with brute force, <laughs> leave you with at least this exhortation. And I'm just going to let you know, we're going to talk about the Christian in community. The Christian in community. It seems like we're beating a dead horse, but I'll tell you why. I'm going to start with a quote, and then we're going to dive in. Turn to your Bibles to 1 Peter 3. We're going to be looking at 8. The Christian in community. The Christian in community. It's going to be beautiful. I don't have to make this up. Listen to what one of the most beastly scholars on missionality and the church takes note of. The invitation to respond to the gospel must necessarily lead to incorporation into the community of witness. It is clear from the New Testament that God's spirit forms a community for mission. God's call has always formed a people, a community, within which God was known, worshipped, made known, and served. God has selected a single people out of all the nations of the world in order to make this people a visible sign of salvation. Individual Christian existence is only possible and meaningful within such a community. This community is as ecclesia, Greek word for church, is as church called out, set apart for public witness, for demonstration before the world of the presence and the power of Jesus the King. Please get the podcast if you need to mull over that. First of all, what he's saying is personal invitation and individual Christianity never was the end that God had in mind. That the sovereign spirit didn't just take you off crack because he was sympathetic. He didn't just deliver you from sin and death because he liked you, even though he does like you. He did it because he's into forming a community that he can unleash in a world and put them on display as his cluster, his community, for the purpose of mission. 
One more quote and we go into the scriptures. In the days of Charlemagne in Europe, local has meant the geographical parish in which people were joined in churches with their neighbors. Basically, wherever you happen to live, you went to that church because back in these days, you couldn't just be like, I'm going to get on the L and I'm going to go across town. The congregation of whom were at least nominally Christian, the congregation of, uh, excuse me, brought together everyone within walking or reasonable riding distance. The parish embraced everyone within the earshot of the church tower's bells. In a Christian structure where virtually everyone bore the identity of Christian, everybody back then was calling themselves Christians, the geographical parish made sense. Yo, I mean, you Christian, right? Yeah. You go to church, right? Of course. Which one? You know, the one with the bells. You know, you hear the bells? Yeah, I hear the bells. I go to the one with the bells. That was the only one there was. In some societies, especially in the industrialized West, uh, hold on, skip. oh, yeah, the dominant social form of organization has become the voluntary society. I'm going somewhere, please. Local congregations in such settings are made up of people who choose to come together in a particular Christian community. Their motives no longer have to be geographical, although that is often still relevant. Proximity in major urban areas is no longer measured in terms of neighborhoods, but rather in terms of accessibility. We have a couple here, lives right on this block. How convenient. Some people come from Lancaster. See? And they'd be like, oh, no, 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 you understand. I drive fast. See, it's just accessibility. <laughs> so listen to what he says. Mass transportation and the automobile create new kinds of local congregations. In the typical American city, Christians will drive or ride past numerous church buildings to get to the church of their choice. That choice may be based upon denominational tradition, ethnicity, program, theological outlook, worship style, children's education, perceived social advantage, aesthetics, parking availability, proximity to the bus line or subway stop, or a combination of other factors. I say all of that to say, if God has designed every individual Christian to exist in a community for mission, and it has always been that people went either to where they were geographically accessible or where they, and in our day, where you choose to go. You must choose that you will drive past, walk past, or do whatever you must do to plant yourself into a community for mission, a.k.a. a local context called church. Everybody must do that. And based on your frustration with the church or your lifestyle, you will be good at that or bad at that. The Bible doesn't give you an option. So, just like with me today, eventually what you don't conform to that God has revealed will catch up with you. So today, we're going to give you the good old be faithful to the local context where God has established ecclesial church authority Step up your game as members of God's mission community, your local church. Now, First Peter, and I'm going to tell you where I get this from. It wasn't just like, oh, he's just trying to get us because he's leaving. <laughs> nah. Mm -mm. Verse 8 of chapter 3. We're going to read 8 to 12. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. 
sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We're going to talk about the Christian in community. We're going to look at the Christians, excuse me, the Christian community's character, the Christian community's call and conflict, and the Christian community's comfort and confidence. Just work that way today, y'all. A lot of C's all just worked out. Of all of our core values, community is probably the most confused and abused. Of all epiphany, we have six of them. Of all our core values, community is probably the most abused and confused. One of the reasons is because we really don't want real community. That's one reason. The second thing is because community doesn't sound as theological or spiritual as Christocentrism, which is our first core value. Doesn't seem like we're dealing with apples and apples. Christocentrism, oh yeah, you gotta have, have Christ in the middle. Community, yeah, well. You almost never see anyone feel like they need to repent for being outside of community. No one says, I'm just telling you, man, the Lord has really been convicting me. I have been an individualistic, renegade Christian outside of community, and God has broken me about it. People don't do that. At best, they say, I should start going to church more, but they don't feel like they've committed any real spiritual uh, transgression. Another reason is because there's a thin line between cult and community. Thin line between cult and community. Listen to this. There are two ways to define a cult. The first way is to describe a cult, excuse me, is the popular, uh, the way we do it in popular secular media. It says, look, from this perspective, a cult is a religious or semi-religious sect whose members are controlled almost entirely by a single individual or an organization. This kind of cult is usually manipulative, demanding total commitment and loyalty from its followers. Converts are usually cut off from all former associations, including their own families. Now, some parents are going to listen to this because they think they... Their, their kids are in a cult when they come to Epiphany. Some people don't come to Epiphany because they feel we're too cultish, especially when you start saying demanding loyalty from its followers. So when people start rearranging their lives under certain leadership, oh, that's a cult. Or if they start rigging their lives in connection with certain people in contrast to others, would you go to a cult? Adopting certain perspectives that are alike, Man, that's cultish. Or leaving behind certain traditions. I don't believe you. You know you were brought up that way. You ain't got to follow. That's a cult. Well, I got good news and bad news. The good news is that Epiphany is not a cult. The bad news is that much of what you just heard, God is really requiring of all his people. It's just that the individual leader or the organization is Jesus the Christ. And his governmental authority. But we'll see where they're different. Our text provides us the perfect way to look at the Christian in community. First of all, God exists eternally in community. 
the Trinity. Isn't it bugged that the God of the universe, because it's not like he like, man, because I want them to get this idea of community, we should form community. Eternally, God has always been community, which is why if you don't believe in a Trinity, but you just believe in, let's say, modalism. Modalism or a oneness understanding of God doesn't have three co-eternal persons existing and interacting with one another, distinct from one another. They, it's one person who just does different things. So they'll say, well, you know, I'm a father, I'm a son, and I'm an accountant like that. That's not the Trinity. The Trinity is this father who is not the son. The son who is not the father or the spirit the son, the spirit who's not the father or the son. And all three of them are not each other, but they're all God. So they get to sit around the table as though it were and get it in with one another. Now, let's just schizophrenic. You don't get it in if you're the same person. You the man. You the man. I know. I know, too. Like, nip. So God eternally has existed in community. And everything that God wants for his people, it's an overflow of who he is. So God says, you on your lonesome, you're not even like us. God created community when he created the church. Of course, the Jews had a problem flinging the doors of the church open. (laughs) And they didn't want Gentiles to come in on equal standing. And yet God blew the doors open and created this huge, massive, universal church from the worst of what life earth had to offer, i.e. William Branch. And if the truth be told, others in here. God commands community. So God is community. God created community through the blood of Jesus Christ, the church, and God commands it over 100 one another's in the Bible that you can't go off to an island like Castaway and do, even if you make a soccer ball or volleyball or whatever Wilson was. I forgive you. I forbear you. I love you. So, with that being said, Peter begins by saying, finally, all of you, finally, all of you, finally, all of you. The reason why we stop there is because finally will make you go back to verse, chapter 2, verse 11, where he says, now, beloved. So, we know we're talking about the Christian community. This isn't just everybody who gets together in a group. We're talking about Christians here. Beloved, in 2 verses 11, he says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles too. And then he starts listing all these things they ought to do. Well, in verse 2 verse 9, he says this is the same group that God called his own people, a chosen race. Uh, This is the same people that God said uh, was his royal priesthood. Uh, All these things are true about you, Christian. Individually, it's true about you, but it's not complete with you as an individual. So he says, finally, all of you, listen. I want to cap off what I've been telling individual Christians. And so if you take it back to where finally 
starts, before you can say finally you got to start, you go all the way back to 2 verse 9. You're cut from a different cloth. 2 verse 9 says you're cut from a different cloth because you're a chosen race, choice stock, royal priesthood. You got unique access to God, holy nation. You're set apart collectively a people for his own possession. Didn't have mercy, now you have mercy. You're cut from a different cloth. Anytime you're cut from a different cloth, you expect something different. Right now, a few of us have these Bibles. They're called calfskin Bibles. Rest in peace to my man. Um, there's calfskin Bibles, right? These, like, we, it, I used to, like, my bonded leather, you couldn't bend it without it cracking and creasing, so you didn't bend it. You just sort of opened it up and held it flat. But because it's cut from different cloth, <laughs> You can bend it, I throw it in the bag, take it out, it looks unsmudged, it can endure, it, can, it's, it, it tolerates more roughness and toughness, it drapes like so, uh, it sustains uh, stains, I just wipe the stains off, look how it dangles. Now I did spill something, like the, the paper is cut from the same cloth, it's regular paper, so I did mess my pages up, but my cover is a beast, and they even lifetime guarantee it, because it's so tough, and it's so, this is... X, I mean, you, this costs a little something, something. Well, he says in the same way, because you're cut from, because you are all these things based on God's mercy, we can expect something different, a higher quality of living. Yeah, yeah. So different, cut from different cloth means we should produce different conduct. So in verse 211, he starts a series of how you ought to conduct yourselves. Sojourners, abstain from passions of the flesh, 211. 2.12, keep your conduct uh, pure, uh, honorable among the unsaved. 2.13, submit to all authority. Then he starts saying, now let me section y'all off. Wives, excuse me, servants or slaves, submit to your masters. Then he says, uh, 3.1, wives, submit to your husbands. Then chapter 3, verse 7, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Then we get to our text today, finally, all of you. Just in case you started zoning out when he started dividing people up. Slaves, oh, he ain't talking to us. Wives, yeah, get him. Husbands, get him back. <laughs> and after everybody starts, stops fighting, he says, and finally, all y'all. Reel us all back in. We all are up front and center. Do you have a word for all of us? He says, I do have a word. Be something in particular. Be my community. Be marked by a different character. And so he goes and he says, finally, all of you. And five things he tells us to be, five characteristics that he wants his community to be. The first one is like-minded, harmonious. This is the first thing people have a problem, who don't want community, have a problem with. Because whenever you start to conform us to a common way of thinking, people who are individuals say, I ain't got to see it the way you see it. But the Greek word here is be of like mind, right? It's the only time it's used in the, in the New Testament here. But the concept is be harmonious. You don't have to think like me. You have to think in harmony with me. The only way community works is not if we all think the same, but if we all think in harmony. You know what harmony is? It's the blending of what's different into one. So that's why some translations say, 
be harmonious. Others say have the same mind because the purpose of having the same mind is in order for there to be harmony because that's what a community needs at the gate. People say, I don't have to see it your way. I don't have to think like you. But the Bible is clear. We must think the same way about God, about salvation, all the things that Pastor E was talking about in terms of essentials. So he says, no, you must have the same mind. This is a death blow to individualism. But again, this is what God is trying to conform in us because our society has made us this way. Our preference has made us this way. Just the way we've been trained, we're able to be this way. And we understand it because all of us like our space and like our privacy. He says, but when you come into the community, you got to now take what you think and make sure it's not disrupting everything, but it's in har harmony with everything. So that's why the Bible teaches us to stop praying my father all the time. And you pray our father. I know what God told me to do. That's not, that's not community talk. Because the question is, how has what he's called you to do lined up with what he's called me to do? Because if God told you floss and show off exotic, um, I mean like pomp, and God's told me to humble myself and make myself of no reputation, and we say we're one, we look like a contradiction, not harmony. You can't be in a symphony and one dude is over here like, dun, 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 dun. you looking at some cat over here that's stretching. To myself. Dun, 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 dun. Like, I'm like, wait, hold on. Who's the conductor? Can we at least agree on who the conductor is? <laughs> this means stop. To you, this means go. <laughs> like, you're like, What's going on here? Bible says Jesus Christ must be the conductor. Can we agree on that? The Bible is his revealed word of God. Can we agree on that? If the Bible is his word, is his revelation, but you still are going on stuff you just feel in your spirit. We're, we're getting. I'm just saying. Harmony. Think the same. Sit around the round table over some coffee. And say now I'm not. I'm just not. I'm not feeling your take on this. And we hash it out. That's what believers have done as they strive to preserve the unity of the faith. This is a death blow to individualism. It's a death blow to isolationism. Because in isolationism, you don't keep up with the conversation. You don't know that everybody is turned. You don't know that everybody is switched. Christian community is like, oh, we used to think. You know, you know that... But when we got our understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity, a lot of the church fathers that we respect had it wrong. And if we just go back before 325 B.C., uh, uh, A.D., we're not going to arrive at the doctrine of the Trinity before then that we have ever since uh, 325. So he says, keep up with the combo. Don't just stay in the cut. Second thing he says is sympathy. Sympathy. Entering into the experiences of others to share the joy or bear or lessen the sorrow. My boys did that today. The cross woman who, who's come. They have their respected churches. Yet today they heard, oh, man, we've got to be there with him. And you know what's sad? That this core value of sympathy, this characteristic of God's people who are in community with one another, that's the thing we often miss. One, because we're not in connection, really. 
And if you're not in connection, you can't feel it. You can understand because everybody knows what it's like to lose someone. But you can't do what the idea here is. Sympathize with them because on a regular basis, I'm with you. I see you smiling. Then I see you not smiling. All of a sudden, your lack of smiling affects my smiling. Now, if I could care less, I don't even know when you're really not smiling. The Bible says that the community ought to think the same and then ought to be sympathetic and share. Hmm. Look at this. One last quote. This one right here. You got to be incarnational. That means you have to be local and physical, right? Then he says this. He says, the one another passages, almost 100 in the New Testament imperatives, emphasize the, mutual, the mutuality of Christian community. Basically, we do for each other. It's not one-sided. It says, it only makes sense within a community whose members are committed to Christ and to one another. Such relationships require frequency of contact, communication, common worship, Christian activity, and mutual responsibility and support. Sympathy. For some people, that's rough. Next thing he says is love. The word we get Philadelphia from, Philadelphia. You ought to be brotherly in love with each other. Brotherly love. This is a Christian given. This is the ideal Christian community is one which produces between people who have no blood ties the same bonds of affection that's to be expected between brothers and sisters. So how are you going to have a Christian community and not even love each other? Genuinely, though. Now, I love you. Genuinely. For some of you, you know what love is like because you beeline to it every chance you get. You still find a way to wind up in the same room with people you're in community with. But when it comes to love, you beeline to it. For many people, church is entertainment. There's no better place to be between these hours on that day. But when it's time to love, be there at the church. It's just, I'm just saying, for the Bible, it just happened to be that your life came together in such a way that the same people you were doing mission with for Jesus were the same people you couldn't wait to be with. Were the same people who you were so close that arguments were bound to happen. How many of y'all have never argued with people in here? Because you're not around to get on each other's nerves. So you don't have to forbear one another. They're just the greatest. You don't have to forgive one another. You're not around each other enough to get on each other's nerves. Well, he says, love. That's easy if I got to just deal with you for a split sec. All I'm saying is, this is what just was understood he says the community must love one another. Isn't it sad that there's probably somebody that you dislike more than anybody else on the planet right at your church? And it's only because you've had to be around. And again, he says, man, the person you like the least could be in this room. 
or at your church if you're from another church. It says compassionate. Be compassionate, which is showing love and consideration. If you do a cross-reference, you'll see that the compassionate, compassion here is not just, oh, look at you, pity, but it's affection. Be affectionate. 2 Corinthians 6, 11 to 12 uh, says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. See, Paul, he was always telling the Corinthians, you don't feel about me like I feel about you. I feel, Paul was like, I feel y'all. He says, I didn't even take money from y'all just so I could be with, around y'all. I picked up a part-time job just so I could be with y'all and minister without you having to pay for it. He says, but then you look at me because, okay, I look funny, and I'm bruised from the ministry, and y'all are Corinthians, swagger to death. Y'all are Corinthians, money in the bank. Y'all are Corinthians, driving the fresh whips, noble and wise. He says, now, come on, be honest. How many of y'all are noble and wise? But that's beside the point. You think you are. Plus, you like preachers who dress in the finest things. He looked, and he says, that's what uh, Corinthians is all about. Paul saying, what, but wait, I don't understand. I, I'm affectionate for you. I think about you. I go home. I, I check my calendar. I try to work it out so that we could be together, so that I could labor among you, so that I could refresh you. Then I get the letter from y'all, and y'all dissing me. Well, that same context is this context. But a community, ought to, there ought to be affection. And again, Epiphany is good because we do experience this, but this word is for anyone who's feels like God needs to step them up in regard to their affections toward the saints. <laughs> Last but not leastly, he says, humility, humility of humble mind. So how are you going to exist in a community where everyone is prone to be, have me-ism as their chief religion? Says, the spirit will produce in you humility. And what will humility be? Not a false sense of lowness. Where the fastest dude in the room be like, oh, go ahead, man. It's nothing, man. You got me. You know you could get me. <laughs> like, you got me. I, you let me win. Like, that's false. Bill Gates, some of some. You know, well, there's plenty of people who are smarter than me. Like William, William Branch. <laughs> He's more business savvy than me. That's false humility, Bill. Romans 12, 3 says it like this. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. So we talk about going around here and everybody just acting like they're the worst person. Because some people, even if you're the worst person, you don't believe it. Because if I say, well, this is the worst person, they'd be like, why are you going to say that about me? You said it about you. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Yo, have you peeped this sinner right here? Why you got to diss me? Like, you said it, though. But here's the classic case of humility because Jesus Christ is all these things like minded. He is. We have the mind of Christ. He sets the tone for the mindset that we ought to be in harmony with. Jesus Christ talking about um, um, Jesus Christ being sympathetic. The Bible says that he is our great high priest and he is able to sympathize with us in everything that we go through because he was tempted like us in every way, but without sin. Jesus Christ is the epitome of all these traits that we ought to be. Remember, we're cut from his cloth. And then he says, talking about love, Philadelphia, he exemplifies all the Greek terms of love. Agape most noted. 
eros. I guess we got to back that one up. Somebody was like, not eros. But now look, and talking about compassion, affection, he loves us, right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died, and he commends his love toward us. He shows that he loves us, and that while we were sinners, he died for us. And now humility, Philippians 2, classic, read it when you get to the crib, where it says, <laughs> basically, that Jesus Christ, who's God, didn't walk around with his chest stuck out like, I'm God, that's why you should listen to me. He said, listen to me because I do Look at humility. Listen to me because I am a model of obedience. I do what the Father said. I say what the Father said. He says, come on. Like, why you, why you, why you, why you fronting on me when you know by looking at me I'm the perfect model of obedience? And it says that when he walked around, he could have flown, but he chose to walk because he's God. He didn't, require, he didn't regard being who he was something to be grasped. I'm tired. I'm the one doing all the preaching. Y'all walk. I'm God. And some of y'all are like, well, he did walk on water, you know what I mean? And let them row the boat. But that was for them to show that he had power over the winds and the waves. That he defied gravity. And... He could have just fed himself without eating, <laughs> but instead he said, I'm hungry, and they went in the Bible doing this, John 4. Thirsty, give me a drink. He wasn't playing games. That wasn't false humility, <laughs> even though he didn't say, I was the living water. But that was, he needed physical water while he was humbling himself to demonstrate. I know what it's like to thirst. Made himself no reputation. This is a note to all the rappers. One of the reasons why we talk about whether you're a rapper who's a Christian or a Christian rapper, the Christian part is still up in there. And the Christian part says that he is our example. Now, how do you jive, made himself of no reputation and wanting to be the man? You got to find a way to not lay hold of your rights. So look at this beautiful picture of what it takes for a community. Philadelphia lets us know this is community talk because this is love between Christians. It's not love for the, yo, I love the streets. That's nice. But that's not what this verse is talking about. And much of the command to love for the believer is love each other. We have more trouble loving the cat that won't mug you than we do loving people who would mug you. I won't mug you. I can't stand you. You think you so tough. Dang, there's some dude out there who will mug you. I love the streets, man. I love you, dog. I love you. I just want to let you know that. Now, while we laughing, it's harder to love the people we're commanded to love than it is to love the people who we don't even know. But the community bears these. Not only that, the community's call in conflict. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, verse 9, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a, uh, a blessing. Listen, he, he leaves the community and says, now, I'm going to say something that's going to pertain to the community, but I want you to begin to think about your existence as a community in the midst of people who are not in the community. 
Because whenever he says, he doesn't anticipate that your primary evil is going to come from the community. Now, I know for some of us, that's where the primary community seems to come from. But a lot of times, that's because we've left the world. But if you were in the world, you'd see. That your primary evil, so he anticipates that evil will come to you and that reviling will come to you. The average person is rude. The average person will do you harm for their benefit. If you're a customer service rep, you know this. The average person could care less about you. And when reviled, he says it is Christian. To not revile in return. It is Christian when evil is done to you. We, had a, we have a dude in here. Got robbed at gunpoint. Now he admits they didn't get anything substantial. Now, I didn't get nothing. A couple wife beaters, a couple little items. You know what I mean? Nothing real. Got my phone. They ain't get nothing much. But ever since that day when he and I get together, he's like, every Latino that he see walking by, is that them? That looked just like them. Wait, nah, that's not him. That's him. Wait. They ain't neither one of them. It's him. Oh, nah, nah, because he had a... Like, that's him. I'm like, and I keep asking him. I said, well, what you going to do? Like, it's like it was two weeks ago, first of all, and you still have that. And, and we joke about it because in his soul, he wants to repay evil for evil. If, if I knew it was them... I wish I could repay them for what they did to me. That's all of us. Word got back to me. Even the announcement we made today, stuff was coming to me. Deuce, is this true? Deuce, is this true? And I was like, and I just wanted to lash at whoever looked like they weren't in my corner. Then God got me peach preaching this. When revile, revile not. Revile means to say something bad. When people say things bad about you, don't say things bad back. When people do evil or harm, don't do it. But this is what it takes to live in community and be a community who's on mission. We got to be able to not revile each other or revile back, not do evil to each other or do evil back. And we got to be able to go witnessing and go share our faith and mix it up in the culture and when revile, not revile back. High calling. High calling. Well, what happens if we listen to you, preacher? Hmm. Says, do this. Well, one, because this is a call. Do this because this is a call. That means it's a divine privilege and it's a divine command. And then he says, do it. That you may inherit a blessing. This is a tough one because in the Greek construction, we don't know if to this you will call is behind the doing or in front of it. So in other words, you were called to inherit a blessing. So don't take it out on people when they like bless people since you were called to be blessed. Could be that. Or it could be don't pay people back in order that it will result in you being blessed. Now, the reformed blood in us would like for this to be 
the thing that doesn't make it look like if I do the right thing, a blessing is, why are you laughing? A blessing is the result. But in the Bible, there are times where there is no clash between doing what's right and blessing resulting and yet it not being a meritorious work. That, like, that, that's, that, the Bible has no problem saying, give and it will be given unto you. No, but that looks like that's, that's merit. You only give, like, it's, it's coming back to me because I gave. The Bible doesn't have a problem with that. Early he told slaves, he says, yo, to this you were called, that this may result. And so here I believe, based on how he uses the Old Testament verse, and we come into a close, that what he's saying here is when you're reviled, don't revile back. When you are done evil, don't repay. And guess what results? It's a henna. Then the Greek word henna, right? It could mean purpose or result. Do this with the result that it will be a blessing, not for the purpose of getting the blessing. It's just God just, and this is why I know, because lastly, the Christian community's comfort and confidence if they live by this rule. Verse 10 quotes from Psalm 34. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Why? For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So the comfort is this. He uses an Old Testament passage to buttress his argument that the person who does not revile or the person who pursues peace God favorably responds to them. He uses that. Whenever the Old Testament writers or the the, the New Testament writers quote the Old Testament, they're using it to comfort the person who's wondering, are you just guessing God's going to do this for me? Or is this God's steeds? Is this the way God rolls? Well, let me show you in the Old Testament, which was the Bible that they had. Let me show you how God has always said the person who's not with reviling and the person who's with pursuing peace and not uh, retaliation. God is open to them, near to them, wants them. He, He makes moves for them. That's your comfort. And that's your confidence. This week, I had a chance to talk to somebody who was flying off the handle It backfired on her because she looked like the immature Christian. And I was able to comfort her with, you had an opportunity to win revile, revile not. Now we jamming you up because you didn't handle it right. (laughs) I said, but yo, if you ever, like I said, I have to live by this. I'm going through some stuff right now too. Now how else does a community stay in love with one another, stay obedient to their Lord, and continue to be missional if They don't do these things. You tell me. You'll continue to just go out of community where you can have whatever you need at the moment to make you happy. You won't be able to hang with community. So let's recap. Verse 8 finally takes you all the way back to when he starts giving you a list of things that the body of Christ does because they are God's chosen people. And he says, now let's culminate it with this. Every single Christian is part of the all of you, the collective community of God. Then he says, and this ought to characterize you. 
Unity of mind. Please think alike. Don't have renegade thoughts that clash, but work to bring harmony to the community. Sympathy. Sharing each other's sorrows and sharing each other's joy. It's a good testimony. Then he says, brotherly love. Love Christians. Love each other just because you belong to the same family. Tenderhearted, compassionate, affectionate. Have affection for the people that God has called you into mission and fellowship with. Humility. We're going to get on each other's nerves. But think rightly about ourselves. Think low about ourselves and esteem others above yourself. And he says, do that while at the same time when you get in conflict as a community, both inwardly or outwardly, this is what you ought to do. Bless when cursed. Forgive when done wrong. When revile, revile not. Is it beautiful or not? And if you need confidence and comfort, it's always been God's way from the Old Testament to the New, that he is, his ears are open to your prayers. Anytime it says that, it's like, well, he hears you anyway. Like, it wouldn't say it if there's not a special sense in which God coming through for you is a result of you honoring his principles. And so as I close, applicationally, I want to just urge you all to trust the spirit of God to producing you a greater hunger for community, biblical community, not a cult, but community. I want to trust that you will do more than just have religion, but that you will engage in true relationships, synchronize your life with a body, and then go through what the Bible says in order to be his missionary. Ask God for a mindset that says that you'll share in joys and sorrows and love and help you to love the unlovely and be loved the times when you're unlovely. Challenge you to pursue our small groups. That's a place where it's not as big, but you may get a chance to connect with people more meaningfully. You may find this is not the place for you. You may find, or wherever your church is, you may have to change churches if The point, of, yeah, the point of ministry is to be a part of bearing res the responsibility for seeing the community grow and not just receiving what the community does. I want to encourage carpooling and rooming together because that's where the rubber meets the road and where you put yourself in a position where you'll have to go beyond the surface want to encourage you to trust the spirit to producing you a desire to not just allow the fact you've got scattered Christian friends across the continental U.S. and Europe to make you think you have community. Community is really a little harder, and that's why we don't do it. Don't allow counterfeit forms of community to keep you from authentic community. In closing, I came here in 1990 to go to Philadelphia College of Bible. I wound up in South Jersey. South Jersey is nice. 
They had a nice little plaza, all you could eat, join up the street, crisp apartments with central air, grass, trees. It was real nice. Low gas. You should have seen it. Petroleum was real low, like 88 cents a gallon, something like that. Well, I enjoyed it. Nice neighbors. I met a woman, Michelle, who lived over the bridge. This was before cell phones and cheap long distance. <laughs> so just to talk to her cost me a lot of money. And just to come visit her, you know, at that time we were poor. It was me and life. We had to pay that toll, come across to Ben Franklin or Walt Whitman. Eventually, I said, if I really want her, I need to be in better proximity to her in order to enjoy her. Now, if I was rich, I probably would have stayed, you know. But because I wasn't, I had to make a decision. Leave her alone. She's too costly. <laughs> or adjust myself to be in proximity to be able to enjoy her. And... <laughs> Because I did, I married her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I found community in Philly in a way that started, again, much of what has marked my life since. And I'm just encouraging you today that something special is waiting for you in the thicket of the community that God has called you to, whether it's here or abroad. Run hard. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you will help us to understand this is deeply spiritual, heavily theological. All the epistles have this section as the therefore after all the weighty doctrine. All of them get to therefore one another, one another, one another. Oh, Father, please help us. The world needs Jesus. And you, Lord Jesus, says, and my answer is my body, made up of individual members connected under my headship. God, if there's someone here who's not saved, may they get rocked off of the way your people do business. And... Submit to your hard pills to swallow as we take communion today, Father. You nourish us and remind us about the fact that to put us in your community, the Lord Jesus had to give his body and shed his blood and allow someone here to be attracted to a Savior who would lay his life down for people and then place them under his one roof and create a family that bears his mark, enjoys the privilege of being rightly related to him. We pray that this city will know that Epiphany exists, trying die hard to follow the blueprint of scripture. Not that we're better than anyone, but that we try hard to submit ourselves to the revealed will of God. We pray this because you are Lord, in Jesus' name.